On today's Patriot Nation podcast, we are talking quarterbacks, quarterbacks, quarterbacks with PFF's Austin Gale. He is the uh, host of Two for One Drafts uh, with Mike Renner, good friend of the show who's been on before as well. Uh, it's a heck of a show, so buckle up and cue the music. Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands he has. Yes. Wilson, quick throw. And it's intercepted. Intercepted. man dude we got austin on the show today man how excited are you for this for this thing man i know you got me listening to this show you got me listening to the podcast early you were in on it before me but i freaking love this podcast and we're talking about him as he's sitting there staring at us but yeah I mean, um, this is great isn't it i'm a little it's a little awkward I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan austin so no i'm a big fan of the show uh i got pat on it obviously don't we don't drive as much with um you know, COVID and everything. I, my girlfriend lives the state over, so that's kind of my time to to crush podcasts. But you guys are on YouTube now, so or have been. That's typically where I watch it or, or throw it on at the gym or something. But yeah, it's, happy to have you on. I mean, it's dude, can't get as much information. Hey, as this. Not that big of a deal, dude. I'm not no no big guy. <laughs> <laughs> Draft podcast has been awesome. You know, Mike and I started it, I believe, in late 2018. If not, no, I think it was 2019. Like we started it in 2019 and have had a ton of fun with it. And uh, we've been happy with how much it's grown in recent weeks, uh, recent months, really, and uh, are having a ton of fun with it for sure. Well, we were talking about it before the show is that, you know, anyone can break down prospects. Anyone can, you know, here's the PFF grade of this guy and here's that of this guy. And here's what I think. But it's, you know, it's about the interaction. Number one with the fans. I think you guys do a good job with that, but also with each other, you know, the, the banter that goes back and forth and some of the stories, man. And, you know, listen, I, we're a little more PG-13 than you guys are, but the, the story that you teased for Monday on Monday's show involved your father, your grandmother, Thanksgiving, and a shotgun. So, like, I don't know what's going on, but, like, man, I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, I'm going to listen Monday, even if I don't, I don't even, it doesn't matter what the hell else you're talking about on Monday. I got to hear that story. Dude, this, this story is nuts, man. Like, my, uh, my dad is crazy. I said this on today's podcast. I'm not sure if you guys have listened to it. But my dad, you know, people harp on my dad in, like, the YouTube comments and stuff. Like, oh, man, your dad sounds insane. He's a criminal. It's like, you know, calm down here, all right? My dad's a role model in that he showed me a lot of things you're not supposed to freaking do. And uh, I think it was he's, – he's a good dude. That story is awesome, though. It's, it's pretty hilarious. I've been having fun with the stories. We did – you know, something kind of came up where people started to take an interest in, like, kind of our background rounds and stuff and like when you guys play football and all that kind of stuff which is crazy because mike mike renner did not play football in high school or in college at all like he was he's like a really good athlete and went to i think a, an all-boys school in high school that didn't have a football team and then at notre dame obviously didn't play uh he's been playing basketball off and on. i think he played basketball in high school so we started getting into personal lives a little bit and that chemistry you speak to like mike and i we've been really good friends since i first started at pff and it's i think a big reason is because when i came to pff I was one of the youngest guys there. And Mike, though he's a little bit older than me, still has a very young mentality or young approach to life. And I think that's kind of how we got on. Love it. Love it. I'm going to, one of these days, I'm going to get out there to Cincinnati. I'm going to challenge him one-on-one basketball. I'm sure, I mean, athletically, I mean, I, I mean, please, I can't, I can't even hold the candle. Him in the paint. However, my jump shot is wet. So, you know, you got to be able to stop me in order to win. So, I mean, that's the frustrating part with Mike is that he can bang some threes. He's very athletic and he treats every single game like a workout. We're like, oh, man, down the court. It's freaking disastrous. You know, who's really good too is uh, PFF underscore George, a.k.a. George Chahuri, who is like an absolute monster on the court as well. I, my, on the other hand, it's just all effort, some rebounds here and there. You know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, that's it, man. The hustle guy. The hustle guy. Everyone needs, every team needs the hustle guy. You know, 
So, but anyways, all right, let's get into it. We're talking about quarterbacks today. And so here's the thing with quarterbacks. Patriots obviously need a quarterback, right? Uh, what they had last year didn't cut it, obviously. Uh, I know that there are there are fans of the Patriots and there are there are colleagues of ours at Pat's Pulpit that are fans of, of Cam Newton. And I'm also a fan of Cam Newton as a player, as a person, not as a quarterback, but as a person. Uh, great guy, obviously, but just didn't get it done. And, and and as far as I'm concerned, it would be a disaster. You saw Rodney Harrison wrote uh, today it would be Belichick's biggest mistake of his career if he were to bring him back in. Uh, tough words, but I think pretty pretty accurate to be honest with you so uh i think the first so there's a million different ways that we can go in this direction you know free agency and trades and everything else like that the, a name that has people have been floating around is Derek carr my question to you is i'm not giving up two first round picks for Derek carr absolutely not however would you give up 15 overall for Derek carr do you think it's worth it for the patriots and do you think you know it makes sense for them to do that I hate to come out of this with a decently strong take here, but absolutely freaking not. And there's this Patriots roster is offensively is worse than what the Raiders have. And that's saying something like their receiving core is worse than what the Raiders had with Nelson Aguilar, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, and a shell of Henry Ruggs, even what we saw from Alabama. And that is the principal concern in New England. It's adding a quarterback, whether you make a multi-pick investment in Derek Carr, a, a, you'll bring in a big-name free agent, say they try and make a push for Dak Prescott on the market. Like, that's not the solution. Like, that is going to move this in the right direction, but it's not the solution to bring the New England Patriots back to form, back to what every Pat Patriots fan expects because they had the NFC-representing quarterback under contract in 2019 with this same offense, and he was unable to get it done. And now you see what he's doing in Tampa Bay with obviously a much improved offense, a better offensive line, better receiving core, and those things. They are not a quarterback away from going deep in the postseason. Maybe they are from contending. Maybe they're a Derek Carr away from at least looking lively in the AFC, but they're not a, quarter, they're not a quarterback away from being a legitimate contender. And for that reason, avoid quarterback purgatory. Avoid the situation – the Raiders are in, the Vikings are in, the Eagles, the Rams, the Lions, where they have this quarterback on a second contract that isn't a top five caliber quarterback. And finally, finally let it loose. Finally, not necessarily tank, but play who you have, develop who you have. If you are going to bring in a veteran, you're bringing in a low cost veteran that you're not investing the, the kitchen sink in and play your way or into a top 10, top eight level pick. Because at 15, Mac Jones, and I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but if you invest in a quarterback like Derek Carr, if you invest in a quarterback like Mac Jones or some Phillip Rivers, I know he's retired, maybe they bring him back, you are admitting that we are saying we are going to go to a Super Bowl without a top 10 QB. We'll do it. We're going to try and do it. We're going to try and do the impossible and go to a, go to a Super Bowl without a top 10 quarterback. And maybe you do, but this league is not about going to one Super Bowl. It's not about shooting the moon with an outside the top 10 quarterback. It's about being consistently in the market or in the running for a Super Bowl. I'll tell you the teams in the market consistently with for a Super Bowl. The teams with the top five QB, Tom Brady in his heyday, Peyton Manning in his heyday, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, now Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen potentially entering that conversation. That's what you want. And you don't get there without the top five guys. So don't settle for mediocrity at any level of this. I think you summed it up perfectly, right, with, with the skill positions around them, right? I mean, no matter who you bring in here, obviously it's a step in the right direction because it's the most important position on the field. But, I mean, when you're rolling out, and no disrespect to him, and we, we're you know big fans of him, Jacoby Myers, if he's your number one receiver, that's your biggest issue right there. Um, so I, I, we talked about it in past shows, I think going one and one, right. You draft a guy, whether it's at 15, whether it's, you know, you trade back a little bit towards the end of the first round, early day two, uh, and then you go out and sign a veteran pass catcher that can come in and contribute, catch 65 to 70 balls. Um, and now you're looking at your, you know, your receiving room isn't top 10, but it's respectable, right? I mean, then Meyer slides into three. If you like Demir Bird, he can come in and be a four and, I mean, God only knows what Nikhil Harry, his ceiling is now. It doesn't look too, too good. Obviously, uh, two years in the league hasn't done much, especially uh, with the guys who have been in front of him. But yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, I never saw Stafford as an option here, especially because I knew teams were going to, you know, that were a quarterback away that had the the talent around him. And, and people, you know, blew it out of, you know, proportion. I think after his comments of kind of not wanting to come here, it's like, He's a 33-year-old quarterback, has been on 
below average team his entire career. And now at 33, he wants to, he wants to win. He's on the back nine of his career. I wouldn't want to come here either, especially with the roster around him. So I floated around. I mean, everybody's in new England that they're either, they're all aboard about it or totally against it. I think realistically, in my opinion, the best bridge type quarterback for them to go after realistically, obviously guys, chips can fall and dominoes could fall later on. Other guys can come available. Like you're seeing kind of with Derek Carr now, but Jimmy Garoppolo, right? I think that's a, a reasonable bridge quarterback that can come in. Pat's been kind of banging that drum for nine months now. Um, and I think it depends what San Francisco does. If they can up, if they want to upgrade and they think they can, I think they will, especially given that contract, I think it's a $27 million cap hit with, you know, they got to pay some guys coming up. Uh, so I'm interested to hear what you think, if that's a realistic option, if you feel San Francisco will actually move on from him. I, I do think San Francisco is involved in every quarterback trade rumor and quarterback draft rumor there is because they are actively looking to make an upgrade at the quarterback position. And for the same reasons, I don't think New England should swing the bat on Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, or Jimmy G. They're trying to get out of mediocrity. People forget the Kansas City Chiefs were won a ton of football games with Alex Smith under center and dumped him, traded up to 10 to go get Patrick Mahomes. Like they knew we're not going to go to the Super Bowl consistently with Alex Smith, as good as he was, because they were drafting in the 20s, traded all the way up to 10 to go get Patrick Mahomes, let him sit for a year, and then play him. And now what? In their second Super Bowl, favored by three and a half points. That's the decision the Patriots need to make, not settle for mediocrity. That's why Jimmy Garoppolo is arguably worse than what Derek Carr brings to the table. And he has been in a better system than Derek Carr has for most of his, you know, in his San Francisco tenure. Kyle Shanahan is a number three or number four coach in the NFL, and they have weapons. Debo Samuel, I think they've done a good job with George Kittle when healthy. Offensive line has been good. Defensively, in 2019, this is one of the best offenses we really saw in San Francisco. A big reason why they went to the Super Bowl when they did. I, I don't see Jimmy G being the answer. I don't think there's a quarterback on the free agent market or a quarterback that will be available to them at 15, even though you do see some mock drafts with Fields falling to them. I don't think Fields falls to them at 15. I don't think there's a quarterback after Fields or in free agency or via trade that is going to take the New England Patriots into dominance in the postseason. For that reason, I think they're better off pushing it down, you know, kicking the can down the road, trying to play themselves into a top 10, top eight pick in 2022. I think that's one of the top quarterbacks there. No, it makes sense. And listen, I think – Here's the thing, right? <clears throat> I think Jimmy G is not the answer, right? Any of these guys, and I think that that, what it kind of goes to is your point, that they are not a quarterback away, right? And so you're not swinging for the fence to get a quarterback, right? The Rams, people can argue with, with what the Rams did. I think it was kind of dumb, to be honest with you, but they're already in all the way anyway, so like, what the hell, I suppose, right? But the issue that I have, and the, the problem that I have with it is that um, the Patriots in this situation are looking for someone who uh, is, uh, is a bridge. Guy. He's a, that's what they're looking for. Get a bridge quarterback. And that's the guy that we want to see. Okay. I think Jimmy G is a good bridge guy. And he's a guy that you're not going to have to give up a lot for. Now, maybe he's 20 million this year and 20 million next year. I don't think so though. I, I find it very hard to believe that anybody is going to trade for that contract. I find it extremely hard to believe that anyone's going to do that. And especially where you can get out of it for basically nothing. I think San Fran's made it pretty clear that they want to move on from him. And if that's the case, you know, you're looking at, at a team that, okay, you're going to move on from, from Jimmy G. Great. We move on from him. Now you say, all right, the Patriots can now scoop him up. Two-year deal. $20 million, right? 10 million bucks a year, or maybe even just a one-year deal, a prove-it deal, something like that. Maybe it's a guy like Marcus Mariota, who's on a one-year deal, uh, you know, final year of his contract down in Vegas. They obviously don't need him. I mean, they signed Nathan Peterman. He's obviously their backup now, but no, I'm clearly not. But obviously, whether it's Carr or whether it's, you know, whether they're trying to get Mariota, he's not going to start for them, right? So you might as well get something, even if it's a third or fourth round pick, whatever, who cares, you know? And I think that that's, that's what I'm looking at is how can they bring in a guy like that and then also try to bring in the new face of the franchise, whether that's at 15, like you said, if a guy like Fields drops to them or if they look to trade up. And I want to talk about trade-up scenarios with you as well, but I think that that's really what they need to be focused on is kind of that bridge quarterback guy, which is why I think Jimmy G would be the perfect fit for that. 
my, my counter to that is what does a bridge quarterback get you outside of a worse draft pick? You know, like that, it, it, let, let's be realistic. And I know no one wants to talk about tanking in the NFL. Everyone brings up, we got to sell jerseys. We got to put fans in the seats. 2021 football season, I'll tell you right now, those stadiums aren't going to be at full capacity. The vaccine is not rolling out as expected. You're not going to be pressured to put people in seats. What you're going to be pressured to do is win football games, and you're not going deep in the postseason with any bridge quarterback available. If you're going to invest in one, invest in one that costs pennies on the dollar that can develop into something maybe special. Jimmy G is not going to be a great quarterback overnight as a bridge quarterback. Mariota, maybe a little bit younger, and we haven't seen a ton from him, but why not see Jared Stidham develop? Why not take a quarterback like Jamie Newman, Kellen Mond, Felipe Franks on day two, day three, and see those guys develop, guys who have tools? That is where my mind is. My bridge quarterback in the NFL, if I don't have a shot at a legit top five type of quarterback prospect, is a guy that wasn't a top caliber prospect, but does have some tools I can build around that I can play with. And if he completely tanks, similar to what happened in Jacksonville, similar to what's happened to other teams with young quarterbacks, then so be it. And we're in a position to draft a Spencer Rattler, a Sam Howell of UNC, maybe Keon Slovis of USC has a bounce back here. You're in a better position to grab a legitimate piece that could be the quarterback of the future for you. You can't, Austin, floating around developing Jared Sinem, even giving him an opportunity to start in New England, that, that's a death sentence around here. So you need to be careful. Listen, Trust me, we've, we've learned firsthand. You Jared be Stenham podcast, that. man. We, we banged the drum on Jared Sinem all summer last year, and we got absolutely eviscerated for it. But the, and, point, uh, the point is, is I'm developing someone. I'm right. not yeah. bringing well, I mean, I hear you. I'm not going to bring in Jimmy G and watch him be the same quarterback we've seen over the past five years plus. Like, if I'm starting a quarterback for the New England Patriots in 2021, and it's not just some fields that falls to me at 15, I want to develop a guy from day two, day three, like a Newman, like a Mond, like a Franks, a guy who has some tools, some talent, but obviously hasn't played a lot of good football. There's a tier of quarterbacks that's going to fall to late day two, day three that have a legit legit NFL caliber tools, but have not played football well at the collegiate level. That's Newman, that's Mond, that's Frank. Then there's that tier above them that – Kyle Trask, Mac Jones tier, where they don't have NFL caliber tools, but they played some damn good football in college, and people are looking at them as legitimate prospects for it. And then that tier above, obviously, is guys who have the tools and have played good football. Those three tiers, I want that third tier, so I'm not investing a ton, can develop a guy that has some tools, and then if he does pan out, hell yeah, let's roll into freaking 2022 with him and, and continue to see him develop. If he doesn't, we're going to be drafted inside the top five and add it with a chance to make a legitimate push for one of the top guys. And you bring up Mac Jones because I think that's an interesting uh, point to kind of you know segue into. Obviously, he's a guy that's been mocked to New England. I think it's a you know you bring up the Belichick Saban connection, whether that means anything, you know, especially at that position or not. Is that a guy? I mean, when you look at him, I mean, he doesn't wow you anything on on film, right? He's not necessarily mobile. He's not really athletic. You know, really good pre snap. Throws a nice ball touch. I mean like you said, played really, really good football for Alabama, you know, uh, you know, dominated down the stretch. Is that someone that New England would be linked to spe- specifically because of, you know, the tools I mentioned? And is it worth, you know, picking at 15? Because I think it's, there's so many holes in this roster, right? A trade back would make a lot of sense because you're picking up a lot more capital. They obviously don't have their own third round pick. They'll get one for Brady, but they have a big gap, I think, from 46 to around 96 when that comp pick comes into play. Um, is that someone you you kind of hold the phone on at 15 or if he's available maybe towards the back end of the first round, which I don't think he will because there's some teams like Pittsburgh and Indy who may be looking for a developmental guy and their next quarterback of the future. Uh, I guess, what's your take on Mac Jones in New England? And is he worth a, a top 15 pick? I, I think Mac Jones is is worth a top 15, top 20 pick in this year's draft. But if you are bringing in a Mac Jones, you're buying into this concept that at his peak, he is a Kirk Cousins in the NFL, a fringe top eight to top 12 quarterback in the NFL. Mac Jones will never be. That's, that's bold. Okay, will likely never be a top four, top five quarterback like a Watson, an Allen, a Mahomes, a Murray, a, you know, um, a, a Rodgers, because he just doesn't have the arm talent. Where the NFL is going with how the rules are catered to the passing game it is going to be very difficult to win football games consistently with a quarterback that's limited from an athleticism and an arm talent perspective. Because you're not just talking about a quarterback who doesn't have a howitzer, but he also isn't very mobile, not very athletic, as you spoke to. So if you want to build around a Mac Jones, you better have a damn good football team already. 
and that the Patriots don't. That's why it makes more sense for a Steelers or a Bears or a, foot, a Washington football team because they have some more pieces in place defensively and offensively than the New England Patriots have right now. I know that's hard to admit. Okay, I'm well aware of the Patriots' history here. This has been a dynasty for a long time. But, like, this, quite frankly, is one of the worst rosters Bill Belichick has ever had. Full stop. Aging defensive stars, guys who are threatening to retire after opting out of COVID-19, and an offense where their best receiver is Jacoby Myers. That is not a good situation. So Mac Jones at 15 feels like the wrong move for a team that isn't even a Kirk Cousins away. Because Mac Jones at his peak, in my opinion, is a Kirk Cousins, who last year ranked eighth in PFF grade and top 10 in EPA per play. That is where Mac Jones' peak is. Will he be that in year one? Absolutely not, especially not with New England. So why put yourself in that position? to tie yourself to a quarterback at 15 that you know can't bring you to this ceiling when, on the other hand, you take a developmental piece on day two, day three, and then you're in a top five, top four pick situation where you can legitimately make a move at a guy that has a higher ceiling than a Kirk Cousins in the NFL. And here, here, here's a here's – because I, I keep talking about you need a top five quarterback to win. There's only – how many top five quarterbacks are there in the NFL? Five. Right. Not every team is going to be able to pursue a Super Bowl ring with one of those guys. The only teams that are really in a position to shoot the moon is how I say it, like the Colts did with Phillip Rivers, like other teams have done where you're bringing in these one-year flyers. The Broncos did with Peyton Manning. Is when you draft really good players and develop talent so well that you're in a position that you're a quarterback away. And the Colts have done a really good job of that. I would say the Saints have done a really good job of that now that they're roughly a quarterback away with Drew Brees likely retiring. The New England Patriots – they're not a quarterback away, and that's why I think you have to steer clear of Mac Jones at 15. I think, listen, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I really do. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of things you saw up there. Mike had said, you know, please don't spend 15 on, on Mac Jones. And I feel the same way. I will say, and, the, you know, good point right here, they have $60 million in cap space, assuming that the cap doesn't go up, right? They do have $60 million in cap space, so you look at it and say, okay, you know, they're going to be retooling quite a bit of the roster, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is that, you know, they do have 60 million in cap space, but there's a ton of that is going to have to go to their guys, right? The guys that they currently have on the team, right? You look at, you know, uh, JC Jackson, who's going to be a restricted free agent and an unrestricted free agent next year. Stefan Gilmore, if they want to bring him back, is making $7 million next year. I feel like he's probably not paying, playing under $7 million. So they're going to have to renegotiate that deal. You got Adam Butler, you got Lawrence Guy, you got David Andrews, you got Joe Tooney, you got there's a million guys, James White, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And so, yes, you have 60 million, but you're really probably going to end up with close to half of that once you get through your guys. And so that's really the issue. Now, could they do something like an 07, right? Where they they target some some lesser known guys, you know, Randy Moss, Wes Walker, guys like that. That's a possibility. That's definitely a possibility, right? But the issue that I look at is that, you know, and and AWL Sabermetrics over here is 100% right. Bill should have tanked this year, and he didn't, right? Yeah. And that, that's yeah. kind of the argument, right, is that why'd you bring in Cam in the first place? I guess he thought he could compete. And by the way, I mean, if Cam doesn't choke in three of those games, they win 10 games, <laughs> like, and maybe even make the playoffs. Now, they're not, still not good enough to win the championship, but, like, they're they're a legitimate contender in the playoffs. I mean, in the regular season, they beat two teams over 500. In the regular season, Tampa beat one. Green Bay beat one. Like, so they can be competitive with anyone because of the coaching that they have and because of the players that they have. The problem is, is that you're just you're not that close. And so that's really the issue. And I agree with you. I just don't know if we're ever gonna see Bill say. We're gonna. I'm gonna yeah. hit the reset button and reset everything. And I, I just don't know if he's ever going to do that because I think he built the O one team to be quarterback proof. The problem is, is that the NFL doesn't. Twenty years later, the NFL doesn't run that way anymore. You know, you wow. can't win with a great running game and a great offense. You just, you can't. Uh, I'm sorry, a great running game and a great defense. You just can't do that anymore. You know, you have to have someone that can sling the ball. The and, Niners in 19 can, can agree. Well, and, and so, right. So there's – so, but who was their quarterback? So, like, so that's the that's the thing where it's like I feel like Bill thinks if I can get a guy who can get rid of the ball quickly, get it out, and, you know, and get it to guys that can, that can make plays in space, then I can win. And I think that he looks at it that way. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I think what you're laying out is a much more feasible way of doing it, but I just don't know if he's actually going to do it. 
and Nick Saban has even, you know, a friend of Bill Belichick, Nick Saban says you can't win championships with a good defense anymore. You, he said that, he, and I believe it 100%. The way the game, both at the NCAA and NFL level, is catering to offenses, it's so much that you cannot win purely with a facilitator at quarterback and a very good defense and a tough running game and all this established run trash. You can only win consistently. Again, you can shoot the moon with a bad quarterback. We've seen it happen. Eli Manning always gets brought up, all that stuff. But you can't win consistently and be consistently in the running for a Super Bowl without a top-flight, top-five quarterback. And I think you're 100% right to say they should have tanked this year. But fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. If This is another year where you're in a prime position to tank again. You should do it again. Your roster is not good enough. Your team is not good enough. You're not a quarterback away. And, and I like bringing up the cap space as well. But how exactly are you retooling this roster? The best free agents available here are – Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay, three of the best receivers. And then you have Justin Simmons, Anthony Harris as two top, top seven free agents on PFS score. But after that, it, Taylor Moton, Joe Tooney, Shaquille Barrett, Marcus Williams, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like this is – you're not retooling the roster in one offseason. And even if you do, to be competitive, as you said, are we hanging a banner for being competitive? I hope not. I mean, you, you need to win a Super Bowl. You need to build a legitimate roster that could go chase a rank. And regardless of what you do in free agency or in the draft this offseason, I don't think that puts them in a position to compete with the Bills, with the Steelers, even with Big Ben in the Steelers. With the Browns, they're in a better position. With, obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs, like this isn't a team that's built to win deep in the postseason consistently. And until it's that team, I think you have to consider trying to make every decision possible to get the quarterback under center. And I think that starts with developing a day-two, day-three guy this year letting some of that talent mature on the defensive side of the ball, potentially trading away Stephon Gilmore on the last year of his deal, as Bill Belichick loves to do, and legitimately rebuild. And I know it's tough to reset. It's very difficult to reset. But you have I think it's the way to go here. This isn't a Matt Castle situation where Tom Brady's coming back. You know, like this is – Tom Brady's not walking through that door. You need to find <laughs> – You did it. You did it. <laughs> you need to find – the next Tom Brady, and I'm not saying legitimately the next Tom Brady, but the next guy that is your quarterback of the future, that franchise quarterback, because Bill Belichick, that's how he's won. I know he's built this offense to be bulletproof or quarterback proof, and he's won a ton of football games with backup quarterbacks. I know that stat as well, but you're not winning consistently in the postseason with a backup or a replacement level quarterback. And I think that's what you're aiming at if you do shoot the moon with one of these guys available in free agency. And you mentioned retool, rebuild, and, and this is a probably a sh- terrible example because I mean, look at Miami, what Brian Flores has done. In the, that was a dumpster fire through seven weeks of that, eight, well, even 11 weeks. I think they were, what were they, 2-10 and 10 at one point? They win five, five out of the last seven. You know, they end up getting two, uh, and, and a year, year and a half later, they're 10-6 and six knocking on the door of the playoffs. I mean, a fantastic job that he did. Um, so, I mean, it can be done in a, you know, a relatively quick fashion. Right, but I think that team was, you know, more suited to to compete this year and quicker than the Patriots may have. And obviously, they get, you know, their quarterback of the future as we think right now. God only knows what they do at three. Um, but you know, you speaking of fifteen now, um, obviously we're kind of, you know, I think we can agree with what you said on on Jones and and kind of developing a guy. What is the makes the most sense for them, right? We mentioned trading back, kind of grabbing some capital on day two, day three, where they typically have the most success. Uh, and like I said, that kind of that gap in picks between around 46 and, and 96, where that Brady comp pick will come in. Uh, are there some guys towards the end of the, you know, the first round? You know, I look at a guy like Kadarius Tony, you know, human joystick, unbelievable in space, can do a bunch of different things. That's a typical, you know, you can improve your wide receiver room and and also pick him up at the end of the first round and also grab some capital, you know, on day two or day three. Are there some guys that you like for them specifically in the holes that they need that they can, you know, look at towards the end of the first round and early on day two? Yeah, I mean, I think at 15, before we go into like the trade down situation, I think getting better at edge or getting better at corner is where the value is going to kind of sit out in this draft. I know there's going to be a lot of Patriots fans saying we need a wide receiver. Hey, you need a wide receiver, go use that $60 million in cash base to grab Robinson, Galladay, Will Fuller, or Chris Godman. Go will will, will they come here with, with an uncertainty of, of a quarterback, right? Like, enough money especially Allen Robinson, who spent his entire yeah. career playing with Blake Bortles. Oh, no, so, I, I agree. Like, will they come here? It's hard to say. Matthew Stafford said the only team he didn't want to go to is New England, which is nuts. 
but money talks. Go invest in the talent there at wide receiver or don't and continue to develop guys on day two because I you don't need to force receiver at 15. I, I always talk about this on the podcast. I'm sure you guys are aware, but like you don't need to force positional need early in the draft if the value doesn't make sense. You can get guys at wide receiver on day two, day three, in later rounds that can still contribute to your football team and have developmental tools in the, at, at the next level. Where the value, in my opinion well, – Austin, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off. Before you continue – who makes sense at 15 at the wide receiver position? Like if you're sitting at 15 yeah. and you're looking at the wide receiver board and you're saying, Hey, we could love a wide receiver. And Oh my God, this guy is here. We have to draft him. Who, who is on that list for you? Yeah. I, I mean, I think Chase Devonte Smith are very likely to go ahead at 15. Yep. I think Dylan Waddle, I've seen mocked and considered at 11 to the giants who I know is a very wide receiver needy team. And I know, Gettleman is a big draft for need type. I don't know if he gets past 11. If he does, he does fall to 15. I think Jalen Waddle makes a ton of sense. But if you were going to force it and say, hey, because at that point, there isn't a receiver ranked inside the top 15 on PFS. I agree. You're going to be looking down at 18 for Rashad Bateman. Kadarius Toney at 24 is another receiver. Like you're going to start Rondell Moore, who has injury risk, size risk, really a gadget player in the NFL. Like again, you're going to be forcing some things. I would have loved Chris Olave at 15 if he didn't decide to go back to school. I'm a big Olave guy, but he's back in Columbus now. I think at 15, again, Waddle slips, sprint the card in. If you had to force it, Rashad Bateman, a Bateman of Minnesota, but you're, again, going to be limited by bringing in not an elite athlete that's going to need to win probably from the slot early on until he can win on the outside, needs to be a technician to win in the NFL. Those guys are hard to develop. They're hard to get better at the next right. level. Again, I like Rashad Bateman, fantastic player. I like him better in the 20s than I do at 15. If they trade back and Rashad Bateman's there, that's an option, absolutely. But I think at 15, if you're not going receiver, Caleb Farley of Virginia Tech, Pat, the corner, Patrick Sertan of Alabama, and then I think Quiddy Pay of Michigan at 15, and Jason Owe is getting hyped up as a first-round pick finally. That kid could run in, might run in the low 4-4s. Four it's a, a prospect that a lot of people are going to get high on when his pro day hits because he – is an athletic freak. Same with Gregor Rousseau, who I just talked to like an hour ago. He's going to be on the podcast on Monday. He, another athletic freak, very smart player, a guy that can play multiple positions, fits what Bill Belichick wants to do with his guys to a T. Get better at those positions because you're not going to find those guys on day two. You're not going to find an edge defender that can run a 4-4 like Jason Owe on day two. Gregor Rousseau's arm length combination with his size and with his athleticism, you're not going to find on day two. Quiddy Pay, we know the athletic freak he is. Go get them at 15. If they trade back, you can start to consider other options. And then in day two, when you're looking at wide receiver, when you're looking to add to this roster, that's where I think it gets interesting. At the top of day two, you could go after a Thailand Wallace of Oklahoma State and Amon Ross St. Brown of USC. I also really like Terrace Marshall of LSU, Elijah Moore of Ole Miss. Elijah Moore to the New England Patriots would be absolutely a, a fantastic fit. Because getting a consistent slot type that can win and always catches everything is something that I really like. He's being mocked at the back end of first rounds a lot, but if he does slip to day two, he's a guy I really like as well. But I don't think they need to force receiver at 15. I don't think they need to go after Mac Jones at 15. The ideal pick for them, Justin Fields, which we've seen mocked a handful of times from Daniel Jeremiah. I think um, no Kuiper has done that. If he falls that far, hell yeah, sprint the card in. Then maybe Jalen Waddle if he slips. But at that point, I'm thinking Farley, Sertan, Pay, Owe, Rousseau, and then on day two, trying to get a big name receiver like Wallace, Marshall, or more. Can I? And can I think I too, we can, we can agree that edge talent, you, you got to get in the first round. Those guys don't come around often. They don't hit the market, yep. you know, at, at a relatively John young age. John after he traded Cleo Max, said it's very hard to find good pass rushers. Yeah, I mean, I bet it is. And he, they've been looking for one ever since. Very difficult. And right. you Fields five. too. Yeah, right. You you mentioned Fields or you know, God forbid, Wilson or someone like that slips, right? Like they're they're floating around. You're at pick seven or eight, and I know who Carolina's at eight. Uh Detroit seems obviously they they seem like they're happy with golf, so I don't think they go quarterback. But it's you know, say they slip outside the top five, one of those guys, you you gotta do everything to trade up, right? Like it, Absolutely. I think a franchise guy like that, it's just what's it going to cost? I, I think, think then five, you, you the tank. five is the spot for me because yeah. that's Cincy and they obviously aren't drafting a quarterback and they need a billion spots. And so, and assuming that Fields or Wilson is there, that probably means that Penny Sewell is gone at that point. And so their biggest need, you know, I mean, they could 
theoretically draft Slater at five, right? But like their biggest need is also gone as well. So then trading back to 15 while picking up a few more picks would make more sense for them in that situation. Um, you know, and I don't know what their draft situ- what their what their cap situation looks like. That could even be you throw in a Stephon Gilmore. Now, whether they want that or not, I don't know. But like that's the spot to me where it's like if if the Jets don't go quarterback at two and the Falcons don't go quarterback at four, five is the spot for me where I'm thinking like the Patriots can move and get up and get whether it's Fields or Wilson. I do want your opinion though on this too. And after you answer this question on Fields. When's the last time Ohio State had a good quarterback in the NFL? And you know, is some of that stick with Alabama guys too? You just well, and that's true. And stereotype. That's, listen, I had I had watched zero seconds of film on Mac Jones, and I said, "Don't draft Mac Jones. He's from Alabama. He's not good. I don't care what he looks like. Don't do it." And so, you know, who the heck knows? I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But like, but that's but I'm curious about your thought about Fields because of the Ohio State thing. I mean, what the hell? What were? Uh, Dwayne Haskins numbers were insane his last year in there. Now the tech, the technical stuff may be better with fields and whatnot, but just out of curiosity, what you think about, you know, him as a prospect, but also after, after you talk about the trade up scenario. here. Yeah. So I think with the, I'll start with the trade up conversation. I, I think you are, if you start to see a fields or a Wilson or hell, even a Lance start to slip past five and into six, you're getting on the phone, but you're not getting on the phone until you at least know what Deshaun Watson's price was. Because you get into the conversation where you're trading two two first-round picks in a second or maybe even three first-round picks to go from 15 to 5, 15 to 6. It's like, what the hell are we doing here? Maybe we should have just offloaded that to Deshaun Watson. But in that same conversation, why are we shooting the moon with this roster? Like, go get your, you know, go get your top prospect in next year's class. I know this year's class is good, but if you're not getting Lawrence or Wilson, I think there's a tier after that with Fields and Lance where you're starting to say, okay, we could probably, if we, you know, grab a day two quarterback, we don't have to give up two first round picks to go get one of them. We can get a top flight prospect like these guys in 2022. That's where my mind jumps to. Or if you're trading two, three first round picks to go up to five, you should probably be on the phone trying to go get after a proven commodity in the NFL and Deshaun Watson. But either way, are the Patriots a team that are, again, a quarterback away? And if you're trading multiple assets, two, three first round picks for Watson or a trade up situation like this, are you really going to pay out? Because how are you going to build around this guy? You're, right. you're going to need to. And I know you've got the cash base and I know you have those things, but it's going to be a lot more difficult. It's exactly what happened with Deshaun Watson in Houston. Traded multiple first-round picks for Larry Tunsil. Traded multiple first-round picks for Brandon Cooks. Or no, not multiple, but one. And they couldn't do it. They tried to shoot the move with Watson, couldn't do it. Part of that is incompetent coaching. Let's not get into that. But you don't want to hamstring yourself by limiting draft capital, limiting cap space, because Watson, with that contract as well, to try and build around him because they are not, again, a quarterback away. To talk about Fields as a prospect, I just had this conversation. Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State had great numbers, 82.0 PFF passing grade. Justin Fields had great number at Ohio State is the highest passing grade we've seen from Ohio State single caller in six years. It, it, he is markedly better than Dwayne Haskins. He's also not an Ohio State guy. He was originally recruited to Georgia and then transferred to Ohio State and was considered the number one overall recruit in the country by ESPN over Trevor Lawrence. And they were in the same state, both coming out of Georgia. Justin Fields is different. Justin Fields is more accurate. He's the most accurate quarterback, according to PFF, starting over the past two seasons. More accurate than Zach Wilson, more accurate than Mac Jones, more accurate than Trevor Lawrence. He is accurate, athletic, mobile, with enough arm talent. That's the only caveat. No, there's two. The two two caveats are Justin Fields. Arm talent isn't the level of a Lance Wilson or Lawrence. It's not. It's good. It's good enough. Can make all the throws, but it's not godly like some of those guys at the top two he holds the ball too long and that i think is coached up deshaun watson holds the ball too long aaron Rodgers can hold the ball too long because he thinks he's a superhero he thinks he can do everything even trevor lawrence at times has held the ball too long but he's gotten out of that he's also a freak in his own right but you can coach some of that out i think getting him off his first read learning him teaching him to make progressions teaching him to throw the ball away will come with the nfl what you can't teach is accuracy traits accuracy athleticism, size, and arm talent. And he has enough, if not plus, traits in all of those categories. I really like him as a top 10 player. I don't get why he's falling so far in some of these mock drafts. Yeah, I don't know. It's, again, it could be the stupid stigma of, of Ohio State because, hey, what, you know, I mean, who knows? But um, 
So you you were talking earlier about, you know, kind of these day two, day three prospects, and I want to kind of get into a few of them. Jamie Newman's a guy that played at the at the Senior Bowl and looked just awful. And I know he hadn't played football in basically a year. And so, of course, getting some of that rust off is one thing, but like the decision making was poor. The accuracy was poor. It was just it was bad. It was it was bad. It was hard to watch at at times. And so, you know, I'm curious what you think about him. And, and there's another guy that you were talking about uh, on your show that I think uh, is interesting. And that's Davis Mills, a guy that, you know, really didn't play much in, in college and declared early and came out uh, kind of in a surprising move. Trey Lance, same thing, by the way, didn't really play this year, played very, very limited snaps. Of course, his intangibles and his numbers. Trey and- Lance's game logs look like Cam Newton's. <laughs> But on, so, on no, I mean, 16 you, attempts, 150 rushing yards. I'm just Spags, joking. Spags hates Trey Lance. He, he only <laughs> averaged, Trey Lance only averaged 18 dropbacks a game in 2019. It's crazy. It's crazy. Runs the football more than they pass. Okay, he's going to have to be a completely different player in the right. NFL. But that's why you're not drafting him to play in 2021. Like, there's no team that is expecting Trey Lance to come into 2021 and be like a legitimate rookie of the year caliber quarterback. He needs time. He's very similar to Jordan Love in that he has all these tools, but just you haven't seen him play like elite football a ton. Yes, he played really good football in 2019, but still did not grade super well because there's some accuracy concerns. He still ran the football a ton. I think the comparison for Lance is uh, like a Jordan Love, but bigger and more athletic and and a better rusher because Jordan Love had a very good arm as well. I think Lance is in a similar tier. All right. So, so so let's talk about those those later guys then. You know, the Davis Mills, the Jamie Newman, uh, you know, and if there's anyone else that kind of has caught your eye, I know you mentioned Kellen Mond too. If there's anyone that kind of caught your eye that you're like, hey, that guy really isn't getting talked about much, probably doesn't deserve to be drafted until later, but could be, you know, an intriguing prospect moving forward. And, yeah. and not to cut you off, I, th- this is the problem I have with that is like, you did this two years ago. You have a guy in your system, and, and I can't go a show without mentioning it, but like if you're at the point where you're being patient with the quarterback position, you don't want to you know, waste cap room on a bridge guy that we talked about, Like, what's the point of, of getting another day two guy that you can develop when you had one in your system for two years? And, and I know Stidham's you know, relief appearances were awful, but look at the roster on him. Like, if you're going to go in and be patient with the process, I don't know why you don't just roll with him at this point. Or, or I mean, like God forbid Cam Newton comes back. Like something like that is just seems more reasonable than trying to strike lightning in the bottle with another day two guy, right? Like But the, the thing is is I think there are better prospects that'll be available to them on day two than Stidham. Like I don't I don't like Stidham as a prospect or as a yeah. like I think Newman is a quarterback that you can draft late day two, day three that could do, could develop into a starter. Same with Mond, same with Felipe Franks of Arkansas, same with Stanford's Davis Mills, because there are some tools there that you can like and, and, and get around as you develop them in the NFL. Guys that I don't like for the Patriots in terms of development is like a Trask or a Shane Bouchelle, a Sam Ellinger, a Dustin Crum of Kent State, Ian Book of Notre Dame. Like Those are guys that like at their peak develop into really good backups. Like You, you could see uh, Ellinger develop into like one of the NFL's best backups, you know, like a guy who's like, Constantly Josh, Josh McCown. first in, last out, that kind of stuff. I mean, that guy, awesome off the field, character out the roof, but like is never going to have the talent level to be like an elite starter in the NFL. Will he start some games? Maybe, but he won't be an elite starter. While Newman, everyone's going to hate on him. There's going to be recency bias because he just laid an egg in the senior bowl. Taking five sacks against a defense that can only play cover one, cover two, or cover three is absolutely absurd. Like that is – knocking the rust off and then some. But to be fair, the guy was still playing in his Wake Forest quarterback helmet, I mean, helmet because he didn't even get to Georgia to play for them in 2020. He hasn't played a legitimate football game in over 12 months now, right? I mean, that's that's what's really absurd to me. So I don't think you should knock him a ton. You should leverage that recency bias that pushes Jamie Newman onto day three to invest in him as this bridge type or just a developmental piece. In addition to Mond, Mond's what? A former five-star that was really coveted um, coming out as a recruit. I also think um, Felipe Franks is another one where, like, that guy has an absolute cannon. Felipe Franks might have the best single throw. He was drafted by the Red Sox. Yeah, he was. I think he was uh, – like a 91st or like a 90th yeah. round. Late, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but he so, might have the best Baseball is so dumb. 
I think that Hail Mary throw he had from Florida a couple of years ago might be the best single throw I've ever seen from a collegiate quarterback because this guy has an absolute gun for an arm. And I think that is something that like, hey, that's something. That's better than what Stidham has. It's better than what a lot of quarterbacks will have on day three. And if you wanted to swing the bat on a Franks there who played a lot better at Arkansas, played a lot better football at Arkansas, maybe he is developing better and could be a piece for you in, uh, down the road. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And that's, listen, I think, what you're saying makes sense. I think it speaks to to NFL to Patriots fans everywhere to to kind of you know look at this and say let's just take a shot at a guy and see what happens. You know, and again, if someone falls in your lap at 15, if Trey Lance is there at 15, I just I just feel like with Trey Lance, you draft him at 15 because he could be the guy. He might not be, but he could be the guy. 2021 like you don't need Lance to play in 2021 you can let him sit and let him develop he's still very young I believe he's only 20 years old if not turn 21 like he is a very young quarterback that you don't need to play in 2021 or you could to give him some experience as a rookie but no he's not going to win a ton of football games for you and then play yourself into a better draft pick Lance at 15 would be a dream scenario Fields at 15 would be a dream scenario but if those guys don't follow them in the similar vein that if Waddle or Chase or Smith don't follow them at 15 don't force positional need early in the draft. Draft the best player available and continue to move forward. Right. No, I agree. I agree 100%. I think, I, you know, it's funny because we've, Spags and I have been going back and forth about this, and I've been going back and forth on Twitter about this, you know, for a while now, and I've been banging that, please, God, don't draft Mac Jones drum for quite a while now because I feel that same way. Like, and I know, Bill, like, th- here's the here's what scares me about Mac Jones. Mac Jones is Kirk Cousins, right? Like you said. Yeah. At his peak. Right, right at his peak. I think that Bill kind of likes that. I think he's like, you know what? He's safe, right? He's not, he's not Trey Lance. Trey Lance is like all this stuff in a bottle, and you're like, oh my God, this could be so awesome. And Bill doesn't like that because he looks at it and says, Well, yeah, like potential is great, but like, what does that ever want anyone anything? You know? And he's right about that, by the way. But like those guys are the guys that win you Super Bowls, you yes. know? And when they don't pay off, of course, they look awful and you look like an idiot for drafting a guy like that. But, you know, the, the fact is, is that those are the guys that that are the transcendent players and you have to take a chance in those guys, in my opinion. But again, I just, I look at Bill and I just think like Mac Jones makes so much sense for him. He's coming from Saban. He had Saban. He loves the Alabama players. And like, he's safe. And that like, it would just make me so sad if they took him at 15. I just like, because, because you're doing the exact same thing you're saying not to do, you know, the, the, the counter to like, cause I do think we've got, we've gone pretty decently on the Mac Jones hate Mac Jones say in year two develops into a Kirk cousins caliber quarterback, a fringe eight to 12 quarterback. Kirk cousins on a rookie contract is a damn good quarterback. Cause you That's can true. work around him. You can add pieces around him. You can have an offensive defense that like you can legit win with. And like, shoot the moon with him on a rookie quarterback and go to a Super Bowl, maybe two, if he plays to that level. And you can build around him effectively with free agents and other draft picks. But if you aren't in the position to make a legitimate roster out of what you have with Mac Jones, then it's going to be that much harder. Like, Because Kirk Cousins on a rookie contract with a bad team and a bad defense and a bad offensive roster is bad. That's a bad situation you want, that you don't want to be in that situation. I think – Again, that's why Mac Jones makes way more sense for a team like Indy or Chicago or Washington at the back end of the first round, where I feel like they have better rosters capable of winning with a Kirk Cousins-like quarterback on a rookie deal. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Spags, you got another question, or you want to? No, I, I I agree with. It's so interesting because there's so many different kind of ways they can go, and obviously, like you said, no one wants to hear, especially Patriots fans after the last 20 years. No one wants to tank, right? Like seven nine was tough around here, man. Last year was tough. It's an interesting part of the conversation we haven't brought up enough because I think this is this would be a different conversation if it was with like the Raiders or um, even the Bucks, Like it, it's a different situation with teams that have, are not used to such consistent success. You know, the Raiders, if they were in a, I'm telling you right now, the Raiders are in a similar spot where like there was even like this theory that they need to tank. They'd be like, absolutely, completely right. burn this thing down. I've had season tickets since we were fucking two and 14. I don't care. We're going to do it. You know what I mean? Like right. we'll, I, we've been tanking since I was 10 years old. I'm fine with that. With the Patriots, it's different. It's like, can Bill Bel- Belichick even tank? I think his floor is eight wins. Especially chasing Shula, too. Factor that in. He's chasing Shula. Yeah. Yeah. 69 yeah. years old. 
You know what? I think the other I think the other thing really, and this is the biggest I think even bigger than the fact that they've been so successful for so long is the guy playing on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Because if Brady had gone to Tampa and sucked and they had missed the playoffs, or if Brady had just flat out retired and not been and just been done, they could the Indianapolis Colts tank thing. Like when right. and that's it. And you'd look at it and say, Okay, hey, listen. It is what it is. You know, like, what are we going to do? Like, you know, it's it's life after Brady. It, it you know, the, what you know, it is what it is. But That's now what, you're getting all the people. Manning retired for the Colts. Remember, they had that one in 15 season where they started right. like first painter. Or he was hurt. Yeah, he got hurt. Yep. Orlovsky. They were going after no bridge quarterback. They were like, what if we made a move? They're like, dude, we suck. It's going to yeah. be a disaster. Let's go one in 15 and grab Andrew Luck. And that's exactly what I'm sure Patriots fans wish they did in 2020 because if they were in a position to grab Wilson or Lawrence right now, this offseason, the content for Patriots fans right now would be a lot different, a lot more interesting. Because then if you're drafting one or two and you did tank successfully, you're actually thinking about bringing in Allen Robinson. Hey, let's get Robinson and Galladay. Let's really bring up this offense. We can probably – we can go the distance. But now we're in this this purgatory situation where I said, again, it's the worst place to be in the NFL – and, and we're trying to scramble to find ways to maybe get a Kirk Cousins, to maybe get a Jimmy G, and like that's right. just the worst place to be. They are they're in the worst spot. You're seven and nine, picking in the middle of the first round with no planet quarterback. Yep. This is purgatory for the NFL. Yeah, in, in the NFL, a, it's it's crazy. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think I think what's the other part of it that's driving it, and, and you know, driving the fuel in the New England fire at least is the fact that you know they're already having the conversation. Oh well Tom was the reason they were successful. It has nothing to do with Bill. Bill stinks and Bill's not that good. And look at Bill's record without Tom and all and so that stuff surrounds it. And so Patriots fans that are loyal to the team are sitting there saying, well you can't tank. You, you can't tank because if you tank and he goes to Super Bowl again next year, then everyone's gonna look at it and say Bill stinks and Bill's this and then we'll get the fence. And so it's like, you know, that's the interesting that's the other wrinkle that's in here where it's like, you know, there's a legacy attached to it, you know, and he said before he has said before when, when the Colts did that and went one in 15, he said in a press conference, I think leading up to the Colts week or leading up to like, you know, you gotta have, you gotta have a backup quarterback. He's flat out said like, we'll never be in a position where we're going to be that, you know, struggling that bad at backup quarterback. Like he doesn't want to do it. And so, you know, it's just interesting to take a look at, you know, kind of inside his his psyche and what he thinks and whether he can pull it off. You got to tell – because I think there's part of us to think, well, Bill Belichick's so smart, so genius, that he would tank to find a way to get back to the Super Bowl in the year following. But I think we might be overthinking in that he is such a gamer that he yeah. refuses to think that any single year he can't win a Super Bowl. I, right. I, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he thought that. I mean, there's more realistic situations where, like, hey, buddy, you're probably not winning a Super Bowl with Cam Newton. You're definitely not winning one with Mac Jones on a rookie deal or Jimmy G when you trade for him. You're not. Like, I'm sorry. Like, your odds. Like, I'm not – speaking in absolutes is stupid. Anything can happen in the NFL. Fucking Patrick Mahomes could get hurt next year. But I, I like to look at Vegas odds and win totals. Like, you bring in Jimmy G for the Patriots, their win totals from Vegas is prop- – the best predictor of NFL success is probably going to be, like, eight and a half, maybe nine. Right. And then like, your odds for the Super Bowl are going to be ranking, what, 10th, 12th best, like maybe 15th. Like you're not going to see legitimate, realistic value in them potentially chasing a ring if they trade for a Jimmy G, even a Derek Carr. Like this is not a team that is going to be light, heavily considered to be a Super Bowl favorite, let alone a postseason favorite. Right. Uh, it makes it makes perfect sense. And and it's nice to have an outside perspective sometimes to be like, hey, Stupid. Like this is, it's okay. Like this is the right way. Go, yeah. go this way. This is the way you need to go. Don't worry about the stupid legacy. Don't worry about tanking. Just like rebuild the franchise and go from there. And I just think it's, it's a nice, it's a refreshing take because you don't get that very often around new England, you know? So no, 100%. I mean, talk about an outsider's take. I had, I'm from Oakland, California. I had season tickets to my dad for the Raiders since I was like, 13 years old. And then when I went to San Diego state, I ended up not going, but my dad hates Tom Brady, hates the Patriots. He's not a, he's not a fan. So this is definitely an outsider stake, maybe even a, an opposition state. So can I tell you, and I, I, I don't mean to open up an old wound, but I was at the, I have seen, I've had season tickets since I was, I, my dad's had season tickets forever. Really. He had season tickets in the 67 when they played at Fenway. But, um, oh. and so we were at the, we were at the snowball and you know, the fumble, the tuck rule happens. The fumble. And, I mean, it's clearly. Call it the tuck rule out of the gate. 
it's it's clearly a fumble. I mean, it's obviously it was obviously a fumble. Everyone knows it was a fumble, but the rule technically, which by the way was called for the Jets against the Patriots in the two, 2001 season, but regardless, they go to review it. What's crazy about that play is that it happened. It was the second play after the two minute warning. The Patriots had no timeouts left, so they couldn't challenge the play had it happened before because the automatic challenges hadn't happened yet. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. they would. So if it had happened two plays earlier, game's over. Which which is wild, but also also what Raiders fans fail to bring up is that only gave them the ball back to kick a game tying field goal, right. win the right. game OT. Like I, again, like a Raiders fan obviously hate to talk for whatever it may be, but it's like, dude, you, you set them up for a game tying field goal and then yeah. botch the game again in OT. In the yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's a tough it's a tough situation, man. I, mean, yeah. it's like, I hear that, man. I hear you know, but it was uh, but hey. It is what it is, right? And that's you know. I, that was now. Are you still a Raiders fan, even though they're in Vegas still? Or are you just kind of? Well, the 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 Oakland to Vegas did not like change my fandom, but I do think working with PFF and working in the NFL has kind of made it harder to harder to be like a legitimate like biased diehard fan. I I do think I appreciate fandom. It's one of the most wild phenomenons that the NFL has created, especially I, Raiders fans too. Dude, it's I I, t- I have this rant with a lot of my coworkers and friends like the NFL has marketed successfully marketed and branded a situation where it is not only success, acceptable but widely supported to get tattoos of their brands on your fucking body like you are they have built a culture where like if you don't support your team's starting quarterback you will get death threats if you botch an offside kick you get death threats they have built a company with such loyal loyalists it's absurd. And fandom is the only reason any of us who create content in the NFL make any money. But like, it is bonkers when you think about what the NFL has done to create like legitimate, degenerate, loyalist fans. And uh, it's awesome. And I think I've separated myself from that being on the outside looking in, but I definitely support it, dude. You've got people who live and die for their team or it's awesome to watch. And it's definitely, it's cool to be as invested as people are. So it's, it's actually, it's funny that you said that I'm going to stay, I'm going to stand up. Hold on. I'm going to, you got one. So it's actually it's not a Patriots one. It's a uh, it's an NFL tattoo on my on my leg. This is news to me. So you've never seen this before? Nope. Never. No. So my last name is Lane. Mm-hmm. My wife's name is Nicole. Her middle initial is F. So her oh. initials are NFL. So we were, you know, I was like, holy shit! It was like right before we were about to get married, and we, you know, we're in, we're like hanging out and we're just like talking we oh i love you so much blah, blah, blah. and she like says my whole name out you know and i'm like oh i love you so much blah, blah, nicole right blah, blah. oh you're gonna be nicole and i'm like wait no wait you're just gonna be nfl like, I, I, I have to get that tattooed on me right now and she's what? like what you idiot and i'm like let's do it like i'm doing it. so like a month before the wedding i got i got her i got her initials tattooed on my leg that's and I was like if you ever divorce me i could just throw a shield around it and call it a day you know that's the way you go <laughs> I have a good good dad story if you guys want one. Do it. Let's go. That's the best way to end it. It's PG-13. I have to tell this one on the normal podcast, too, so other people can hear it. My dad has a tattoo of my name on his body spelled wrong. (laughs) (laughs) My dad – so my my dad and I went through it in high school, and we weren't living together for a little bit. And uh, he sends me a text one day. It's a fucking picture of his arm, and it says – a-U-S-T-O-N. Oh, O-N. And no one spells Austin that way. I've seen E-N before, but O-N, I was like, what? I just Austin texted- Matthews in the, in the NHL. That's the only yeah. one I know. So he te- I text him back. I say, hey, dude, my name's Austin. And he's like, calls me. And he's like, what? Are you serious? Like, you're joking. Like, you have to be kidding. I was like, dude, are you freaking serious? Like, th- I don't even know what to tell you. Like, my name is Austin. This is how you I named me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Here's <laughs> an excuse. I've had a name on my phone since... Forever is on or whatever the hell or Austin, but he obviously pronounced it right. That would have been weird. I was like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. Like, my name is Austin. And then I started, like, I'm dying laughing with my buddy. And I'm like, can you imagine the tattoo artist, the dilemma he was in? Because it's like, if you told him, like, hey, are you sure this is right? The tattoo artist is literally saying, are you sure you're spelling your damn son's name right? right. That been not- <laughs> so he, the tattoo artist probably is not saying anything. So he gets it done. Everyone makes fun of them. I'm dying laughing. I tell all my friends. It's a pretty good time. I have to get a picture of it. I'll show you guys one day. But um, then in the middle of it, he ends up trying to solve it. 
And like what he does is he puts like a little I inside the O. And then the O becomes like a part of like this crossword that said God is with us. Oh, no, dude. Dude, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna probably tell this story in conjunction with one of the and I'll get a picture up on the YouTube or something because it is nuts, dude. My dad has a legitimate tattoo of Austin on his eyes. That is unbelievable. You I mean, it. yeah, that's a good one. Talk about the only like having to, you know, it's like you get a tattoo of your ex's name, and then you have to like go over it because you screwed something up, and because you guys broke up, and he gets a tattoo of his son's name and has to somehow work around it because he spelled it wrong. I mean, it's just that's unbelievable. It's just you really hate to. Oh my goodness. Unbelievable. So Austin, this has been so much fun, man. Thank you so much for coming on. We, uh, we really appreciate it. We love the show. We love, you know, we really enjoy uh, talking to you. I almost said we'd love you, which is a little, I mean, a little early to say that, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we really enjoyed having you on, but you know, plug yourself before you leave, you know, plug yourself and, uh, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, follow me on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin Gale, A-U-S-T-I-N-G-A-Y-L-E. And then that uh, check out PFF.com, man. We got a lot of good content there, always pumping out a lot of good article content. And then the podcast, 2 for one Drafts, find that uh, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. Definitely appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, I'm looking forward to coming back. Yeah, anytime, man. You let us know. You're welcome back anytime. Thanks, Austin.